May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Oh, this is all out of order from the, from the early service. You and me start at the end? Some, some people might prefer that. I, I'm just saying. It looks really long. Good grief. It's going to take forever. I'm so happy to be here with you today at such a beautiful place, such beautiful people I've met all morning long. I've met so many. Uh, such beautiful music. Wow. And I love the thing up there. It's so cool. You know, I was just reading that. Yeah, you know, Jesus says, don't worry about what you say. Just go. It'll, the words will be there. I have not perfected that. So <laughs> here's what I've got. <laughs> you know, I watched uh, Father Mike last Sunday uh, online. It seemed like that was working for him. Wasn't that a beautiful sermon he preached? I hope many of you were here. So today we hear Jesus teaching his disciples to be apostles. If you're a, a, a student, uh, somebody went to uh, education for ministry recently, and that she probably learned the difference between a disciple and apostle. Too. Disciples are those who gather together to be with Jesus, to follow him. Uh, I think we all are that. I hope. But, the, but apostles are the ones that he sent. The word itself means sent. And he gave them very explicit instructions. Where to go, where not to go, who to see, who not to see, what to take or not take. Not take much, it sound like. They're kind of counting on the, the house so that they enter to care for them. It's kind of like the evangelist of, for, of today. Has everybody had, anybody had the, the evangelist knock on your door and they've got this little pamphlet called the Watchtower? And, the, and there's others that do that, that same, same sort of uh, missionary ministry. I don't want to speak uh, against that. In fact, years ago I was, uh, I, I did my full-time ministry in the Diocese of Colorado and the, the house I had was in the mountains, and, and one day my wife was uh, away doing something, and it was a lot of snow, and it was very cold. And there's two young Mormon uh, boys came and knocked on the door, and it was really cold. So I invited them in by the fire and, and, and let them talk, and they were so um, passionate about what they believed. I'm still an Episcopalian, but uh, and recently we heard Jesus say, I don't know if it was last week's gospel or the one before, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you think we should be going out knocking on doors? I, I don't know. And what is meant by nations? 
I mean, we, today we talk about nations, we're talking about countries with boundaries and disagreements and all kinds of problems. But in that, in a, in a sense, it wasn't different then. But a nation in his day, in Jesus' day, was a group of people that were kind of had the common bond. The Samaritans were a nation. There's no particular boundary or government or whatever. And in fact, the Samaritans were really uh, came from the same tradition that the Jews did. They just kind of split off because they had different ideas. Sound familiar? I don't know. Is this what we want to be doing today? Maybe not. You know, I'm convinced. I think I can support this statement that all human beings, you and me and all human beings that have a conscious mind, seek answers to deep existential questions. Who am I? How did I get here? Where am I going? What happens when I, when I, when I die? Everybody, I think everybody, wants the answer to those questions. But here's the thing. The truth is nobody has the answer. So what happens? Their deep desire for the answer, religions arise and provide an answer. We are one of those. We're one of those. We're part of one of those religions. One of those traditions. And it supports us. It comforts us. But is it really helpful to go to another and tell them that they are wrong and we are right? Is that helpful? Who would that help? Tell them that we have the answer? Even in our own Christian tradition and faith, Christians have a hard time agreeing on the answer. We're all the time picking at each other, different denominations or whatever, about what is the answer? Now, people who know me as a preacher know every once in a while I have to go on a rant. So if you allow me uh, to rant just a little bit. I got to wondering about the word dogmatic, dogma. And I, but um, actually when I first looked it up, it, it came up pointing out to me, you know, Wikipedia, right? The, the, Pope Emeritus Benedict, who was Cardinal jo Joseph Ratzinger, uh, and I don't mean, mean to speak ill of him at all, but I did learn that in 1955, uh, Joseph Ratzinger, because he was Father Joseph in those days, was a professor of dogmatic theology 
in the University of Freising in Bavaria, 1955. So I looked up the word dogma, see what it really means. And it says, where I looked, a principle or set of principles that, that laid down by an authority as incontrovertedly true. I thought of this line, I've heard this before. May your karma run over your dogma. I'm a big fan of Father Richard Rohr's. Anybody else? Uh, yeah, many of you. Uh, his writings and his thinking. He's a he's a Catholic priest. Uh, I guess say more about him, but he wrote in his book the Divine Dance. Maybe some of you even read that. If you haven't, it, it, I commend it to you. But he writes in that book this. We've turned faith into a right to certitude when, in fact, the Trinitarian mystery is whispering quite the opposite. We have to live in exquisite, terrible humility before reality. Circling around is all we can do. Our speaking of God is a search for similes, analogies, metaphors, all theological language is an approximation offered tentatively in holy awe. That's the best human language can achieve. We can say it is like, it is similar to, but we can never say it is. Because we are in the realm of beyond, of transcendence, of mystery, and we must absolutely must maintain a fundamental humility before the great mystery. If we do not, religion always worships itself and its formulations and never God. My heart is with that. My heart is with that. The Gospel of John the prologue to the gospel, the first chapters of John, provides for me uh, a fundamental idea that I can live with, that I do live with and live by. The Word, the Word, that which we have come to call Christ, was and is eternally with us, within us, every human being, all time. Every human being. That spirit lives in every human being by different names, of course. And long before John's gospel was even written, St. Paul wrote to the Galatians, as so beautifully read just now, and because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So beautiful. I find this mean that spirit, the Christ of God, lives within us. It is clear to me that the key to heaven is to embrace Christ in every way possible. 
every way possible. And Jesus makes it pretty clear that the only thing that really matters is love. I mean, they ask him, what are the commandments? What does he say? Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. What is love anyway? The kind of love that moves us to care for the forest and the streams. The kind of love that, that, that moves us to care for the deer and the foxes that pass through our yards. That coon that keeps robbing my bird feeders. They're so cute. The kind of love that moves us to care for all humankind all over the world. Everyone. No boundaries, no nations. The kind of love that we instinctively have for our children. Got a little one over there. <laughs> you love him most of the time, don't you? The kind of love Christ shows towards us, unconditional. The kind of love that Jesus exhorts us to have for one another. Love one another as I have loved you. He commands us. And I think loving is not so much what we do as what we, could, we, can, we can become. We can become. It's a kind of thing that requires practice and an intention. You know, if, if we didn't have the choice not to love, love would have no meaning, would it? We wouldn't even know what we're talking about. Challenge every day, every day to love something seemingly unlovable. People seemingly unlovable. We can even maybe love a hot summer day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the biggest challenge of all is to love ourselves. It's a challenge. Maybe that's where we should begin. We probably look like a lifelong endeavor to live a life of love. We could never complete it. But I think it's about the journey, not the, not the end. Maybe that's what the end is. Love. We came to say that Christ came to save the world Frankly, I, I think sometimes it's hard to see that's working very well. Maybe we should lend a hand. Expand our efforts to seek and serve Christ in all people. Respect the dignity of every human being. You know those words in the baptismal covenant. We, we took an oath to do that. And we try. Open our hearts to the, to the light, to the Christ that is within us. Shines for all to see. Anybody in here uh, been to Curcio? A few. We, we need to talk about that in the, in the next couple of months. We'll talk about that. But there's a... A saying, uh, you know, Curcio is about evangelism in a lot of ways. 
there's a saying is you, you make a friend and you be 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 a friend and then you bring your friend to Christ within you. Beautiful. Maybe the idea is, is to make a new Christian or a new Episcopalian or a new member of the church. That's great. But that's not really it. Maybe a better idea is to help our friend find the love within themselves. Christ, we know, is already there. Just need to find him. You know, I've often said, and I have to be careful what I say, you know, bishops listening. <laughs> we might as well stop trying so hard to be a Christian and just be Christ. Just be Christ. Everyone would see that. That's all the evangelism we need, I think. I'm a lot like two of my favorite characters in the gospel, Thomas and Philip. They're both there being made apostles. They're kind of being ordained, you know. But they're all, those two, always questioning, wanting a practical explanation to everything. Show me your hands, show me your side, show me the way, show me the Father, Phil says. Or maybe we're, they were engineers or mathematicians. I, you know, in seminary, it was, the, it was the engineers and the mathematicians that were called to be in seminary that had the hardest time because they wanted it two and two is four and that's it. We had a course uh, in, in seminary, and I, when I first went, I, I saw we were going to have this course, and the name of the course was Systematic Theology. And I just thought, what? <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of a logical thinker, not a, well, I I'm a, I'm a, have been a computer programmer, that pretty, well, I digress. In, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm drawn, I am really drawn toward mystical answers to great mysteries, just like Father Rohr was talking about. To me, the idea of God is a great mystery. Which I, Actually, I would not like that mystery to be solved on some professor's chalkboard. It won't be. The poet uh, Rainier Maria Rilke, some of you may know his work, he wrote this. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek the answers that cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. Amen.